Welcome, dear listener, to Weekend at Crombie's 2, The Legend of Crombie's Gold, Season 3, The Best of the West, Episode 7, The Outlaw, Josie Wales. Welcome, dear listener. Yes, it's Weekend at Crombie's 2, The Legend of Crombie's Gold, etc, etc. Um, my name is Dr. James Evans, Esquire. Now get back in line before I kick you so hard, you'll be wearing your ass for a hat. <laughs> Thank you, James. And I'm Hugh, and the buzzard's got to eat the same as worms. <laughs> That's a good one as well. There were some good lines in this movie. There were. For this, there were. this movie was, as we said, the outlaw Josie Wales. We are into the seventies of our Western uh, romp. Yeah, the seventies. Um, yeah, and it, you know what, it, you know it feels like the seventies. It does, doesn't it? This film is, uh, yes. Well, we're coming to that, won't we? We're yeah, coming yeah, to we it, will, but will. it it does certainly feel like a nineteen seventies film uh, because it is. But you know, it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the outlaw Josie Wales. It's another Clint Eastwood film as well. That's the fourth in a row. I know. Wow. Um. And but this is this is interesting because again, it's almost this is a, a decade or more on from the man with no name. So Eastwood is now yeah. big big box office name. He's, he's not. He's yeah, not he the. Is, he? You said he took the job initially for the man with no name for like a few thousand dollars and to get in the movie. Yeah. And this he, he had major. I mean, he had so much um, hefty. Fired the director and took over himself. Uh, he did. Yeah, he so, did, didn't he? Yeah, Philip Kaufman. We'll, yeah, we'll come on to that. But yeah, so. Him. Yeah, so he certainly had a lot of pulled a lot of pull in them. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, yeah. so this is Clint Eastwood's actor, sort of part director of of the Outlaw Josie Wales, and um, we're definitely we're, when we come to the analysis, I'm definitely going to talk about how this works in the Eastwood arc of his 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 cowboy um, oeuvre. But but should we we have a little look around what the the story was because it was well, it's a it's a fairly long film as well, isn't it? I mean, it's oof, it's, it's yeah. not the it's not the good, the bad, and the ugly length. Yeah. But it's um it's I think it was surprisingly long actually. But yes, let's should we delve into it? Let's you know without further ado. Without further ado, because there's lots of doing and doing. Right. So yeah. it uh, it it begins in uh, in the, in Missouri in the American Civil War. I think we it mentioned does. last time. Not a lot of cowboy films do that. We'll come no. to that as well because that's no. an interesting take. But uh, Josie Wales is a humble farmer working his Missouri farm, a uh, yeah. small holding. He's um, not when, the outlaw Josie Wales yet, is he? He's just regular Josie Wales, <laughs> and uh, with his with his wife and his son, um, yeah. played by I think one by by uh, a junior Eastwood little boy. Um, oh really. Uh, well, well we, we do know of course that eastwood has many children oh he's, he yes, he's quotes yes. himself at least eight <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said <laughs> nice um yeah mm. but again he's on the he's in missouri so he's on the confederate side of the border and uh kentucky basically um uh irregulars Reg, the reg up. red legs aren't they red legs yeah they're basically yeah. uh, guerrilla fighters on the yeah. side of the union and they wear red leggings they do, and uh, essentially, this this is this is real border war stuff. It's basically the the, the marching and the the shooting is being done elsewhere. But this is where yeah. it's guerrilla warfare. It's guerrilla warfare, yeah. and they're they're terrorising the homesteaders on either side. Um, and it begins. Yeah, he's uh, so Wales is kind of cavalry sabred down. He's left for dead, but his wife and his son are actually killed, um, and their farm is burned down, and that's where it begins. And even pre credits, we, we we get this scene of of Josie Wales. You know, he recovers, but then he you know he has to scrape a grave for his his wife and his son yeah. as he plants yeah. the the crossing it's like literally the first five yeah. minutes 
if he plants a cross in the ground and breaks down crying, it's, it's awful. It's like he's just yeah. hugging this cross as he as he can't take it anymore. Um, he out of the ashes of his home, he digs out a revolver and just shoots and shoots and shoots until he's yeah. become a, a dead shot with his um, pistol. And then he's discovered by um, Missouri guerrilla fighters saying, you know, we're going over to get them red legs or to make it right. Um, would you, you know, are you coming with us? I reckon I will. And off he goes. So then the credits is basically just, it's basically a lot of war. It's, it's, it's yeah, just like, yeah. Just, well, it's kind of it sets the historical scene, doesn't it? It, it, does. it, it shows it shows how Josie Wells has become a feared guerrilla fighter, a sharpshooter, and um, a, if not a man of principle in the context of where he's kind of you know plying his trade per se, seems to have the trust of his fellow guerrillas, and this yeah, is all shown in kind of like a grayscale, gray isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, so it's basically a fight after fight after fight. So you can, because yeah. I remember someone has commented on this, which seemed, you know, asinine, saying, well, how on earth did a simple farmer become the most feared gunfighter? Thinking, it's there in the credits. He went through a war. Uh, so he spent many, many years fighting, you know, the really bitter guerrilla warfare. So it'd become, yeah, an absolutely lethal killer. Um, but again, the, the war ends um, and the mm. Confederates obviously lose. So uh, so now you see this, this kind of really battered, you know, the last survivors, the last holdouts um, are just slumped down with them, nowhere to go and nothing to do. And their captain, who's, uh, what's his name, Fletcher? Fletcher, played oh. by John Vernon. Do you played know what John, John Vernon's real name is? Go on. This is, well, not his real name, but his, John Vernon's his, his stage name. He was born Adolphus Raymondus Vernon Agoposovich. Really? <laughs> yeah, so John Vernon's a bit less of a mouthful. But I'll tell you what, he, oh, he owns he, about, he, he owned that name. <laughs> John yeah. Vernon just has the best voice in this film. In, in any does, film. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know him that well, but oh. No, my. I was thinking that. It's like, why is he not a more famous actor? Because with a, yeah. with a voice like that. Well, um, and also, the voice, he has some choice kind of. Not they're not quips, are they? They're aphorisms. He yeah. he he has he doesn't have a lot to say in the film. Yeah. But the things he says are very um, profound, aren't they? Yeah. And he says them in such a way that you think, oh, for bloody hell. Yeah, and this this is this is quite useful actually because actually his role is important in in the plot of the film because he guess this, this is Captain Fletcher now of the the, um, the the gorillas and he basically says guys every, everyone has surrendered but us we're the last holdouts yeah, yeah. and they're all looking a bit kind of like we don't want to surrender to the Yankees we do, you know he's, he just goes boys I'm going in I'm just yeah, tired I've had and, enough yeah he's just yeah. I'm, I'm tired and it's like you you really believe him that he's like enough let's go come on and it everyone, turns out everyone, he's made a deal though. Well, his deal, anyway, his deal was we'll surrender and you'll treat us decently. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. more like he negotiated a surrender rather than cut a deal. So he is yeah, he's he's a, he's a guy of some honour. However, the um the rotten old unions that are taking their um their their surrender, they are in league with the redlegs. Exactly, uh, and he says you you know you, you said you they all get shot, don't they? You you said you said you'd treat them well. He said we did treat them well. We fed them well. And we shot them well. <laughs> <laughs> well they, they were, you said they were decently. They were decently yeah, fed, yeah, and then yeah, they were it. decently shot. Um, and because yeah, basically, as Fletcher comes along, he sees the captain of the regulars, Captain Terrell, and immediately smells a rat because, like, he was—he thought he was surrendering to a senator and his arm and, and the regular army. And when he sees the red legs come along, he realizes, "Oh no!" And then, sure enough, as all the uh, the um, the rebels have disarmed themselves and are getting ready to swear allegiance, um, the the canvas is whipped back off the wagons and a couple mm. of gatling guns appear and start mowing them down 
And we should mention, even though everyone's gone in, Josie Wales has not. He is the last holdout. He didn't go down to surrender, but he also smelled trouble. So he's followed at a distance and has seen all his comrades getting gunned down. Um, so he naturally rides in, um, shoots one of the, the cannon crew and takes over a Gatling gun himself and then basically begins to mow down as many yeah, as with many. With a machine gun. Yeah. And this is, again, we talked about this in the last episode with um, the machine gun. It's like the machine gun really is like the, the death of the Western. It's like when this, it is, when this appears, yeah. honour and, and, you know, and one man against one man in the high street is gone. It's just death, death, death. And but it, it's interesting because the machine gun obviously existed yeah. When those earlier westerns were made, it just doesn't it doesn't rear its ugly head until the good, the yeah. bad, and the ugly, really. Yeah. Yes. Not it must be said to this effectiveness. They did they did no. add a bit they did add a bit of Hollywood magic <laughs> yeah. to what a Gatling gun can do. Um, yeah. But it, but the, it is a point. Yeah. It, it's 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 because I remember reading there's there's this book called the social history of the machine gun and it's really dwelling on this that you you move from you know the skill and of, of the one combatant yeah. his, his aim is his quickness to the machine is taking over and the yeah, machine it's indiscriminate is... isn't it and yeah. yeah the yeah. machine takes over yeah that's right but there's um there's one other there's one other person isn't there little uh, little Jamie little Jamie uh, little Jamie played by Sam Bottoms who he's not um, that little but he has no, the most a... wispiest pubescent oh, yeah. moustache to show it, he's a young man it reminded me of the um, of John Wayne's sidekick in The Searchers oh, yeah. um, which was slightly annoying um, and possibly horse, horse buckles I was just thinking <laughs> that Jamie is slightly annoying I can see the role he yeah. plays but he doesn't yeah. stop being slightly annoying no. especially so he's, he's, a, got... he's a younger fighter isn't he and he, he also at the, the time of the surrender He's kind of having second thoughts, but goes along with the crowd anyway. Um, but he, but then, he was he was on edge enough to actually avoid the initial massacre, and yeah. so he he basically rides around um, to try and yeah, to get it free. But he sees well, he sees Fletcher, who's standing with again the um, the, the commanding officers yeah. of the Union, and he tries to warn Fletcher get out of the trap, and then. A, he sees Fletcher with the red legs and then he um, Jamie gets shot himself. Yeah. So he again it was being shot, jumps to the assumption that it's Fletcher was assumption. Yeah. Fletcher was behind. But he him. wasn't. Floyd, yeah, Paul Fletcher wasn't in that at all. He's he's really stuck here. But yeah. so as as Josie Wales has basically parked himself on the machine gun and is not doing anything. He when he runs out of bullets, he gets his pistols and he starts shooting that too. And Jamie's like, "Come on, Josie, we got to go. And, you yeah. know, I'm going to stay here and kill everybody." Yeah. It's like, it's Come like on. you're out, you're outnumbered. You know, like, you, I've got nothing gonna... better to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which indeed you thought that was probably how Josie Wales was going to end his life. He was yeah, just going to sit probably. there and keep killing. Um, yeah. But it was when Jamie goes, you know, Fletcher was in on it too. That seems to shake him, thinking, you know, he's been betrayed by his his friend yeah. and captain. And that's enough to get him and Jamie riding out of there. So they escape. Um, and again, the senator and basically tells Captain Terrell, you know, hunt down Josie Wales. And he tells Fletcher to do it as well. And Fletcher, again, w- once again, you're right. It gives a man like Wales lives by the feud. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit <laughs> like Richard Burton about him. Oh, it? yeah. He basically says, yeah. Because of what the position you've put me in, I've now got to hunt down and kill Josie Wales mm. because he's not going to rest until I'm dead. So, yeah. you know, so now again, Wales is being hunted by his old captain, Fletcher, and by Captain Terrell. So Terrell is, is, is the captain of the Red Legs, so, you know, a bloodthirsty enemy. Terrell is, you know, a very competent friend. Um, and the, you know, and all the power of the Union authorities chasing down Josie Wales and badly injured Jamie. So there's a there's a bit of pursuit going on. Again, Jamie is quite badly wounded. So Wales is kind of doing a, a quite nurturing thing of you know looking after him, tending his wounds, trying to um, care for him. Uh, as they they do, they get there's a couple of what you call random encounters where they mm. just get bushwhacked by bounty hunters or, or regular people out to claim the the, the field. Um, Wales is a head. five thousand dollar. 
um, yeah. feel his head. Yeah. Yeah. I did think actually there's probably at least one too many of these because it's, it, it follows a familiar pattern of it does. Wales get the two guys come up to Wales, misunderstand uh, yeah. and get shot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I when I was watching this, it's about halfway through. I did think to myself. This should have been called The Many Adventures of the Outlaw Josie Wales or something like that, right? Because, yes, this happens the, a lot, doesn't it? Or the idiots that didn't shoot Josie Wales yeah. and then tie him up. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But well, they, they're quite excited, aren't they? Because they come out and they say, oh, we got ourselves Josie Wales! Yeah, it is interesting. I suppose each one has its own has its own thing because the first encounter is um, when Jamie is, is just uh, feverish and is in, in lying under a blanket yeah. and Jamie manages to distract them enough. He's, he pretends he's so feverish, he's talking about, oh, where's the gold? Where's the gold? And that distracts yeah. him and so for yeah. Wales to get the edge on it. I will say one thing about the first encounter that uh, that distracted me was that um, one of the hillbillies is played by Len Lesser, who okay. is more famous as Jerry Seinfeld's Uncle Leo. Oh, really? And, and even though he's in this kind of Confederate slouch cap and an old jacket, he looks so much like a New York Jewish guy. And I thought, no, no, I, I must be just projecting. Clearly, he's a character actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, but no, I looked him up, and he is like, he's from like Brooklyn, and it's like. <laughs> So when he jumps up and you know he's he's trying to do the whole Confederate thing, he's like, "I got myself a Josie Whale. Look at that! I'm gonna be for sugar." So in fairness, in fairness to Len Lesser, uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales was made about. 20 years before Seinfeld. <laughs> so, you, know, you can't say, in some respects, it's not his fault. No, but, in, but the, in the Outlaws of Josie Wells, he's known for a very strong Brooklyn. No, but the, but the actor himself yeah, is kind of, yeah, see, yeah. even when he's trying to do that kind of backwater accent, I'm just hearing Brooklyn in it because he's, he was in other things. He was like in, um, he was in Kelly's Heroes. And even then, yeah, he was like the chief yeah. engineers and he yeah. was heavily New York yeah. there too. So there's 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 that vibe with him, um, but that that was an aside. But I just thought it was quite funny that he was <laughs> he was he was like, oh, what was what's Uncle Leo doing out in the south? <laughs> um, but there was that encounter, which um, I think at that point, oh, and then they have a quite an interesting escape across this the the, the Missouri River, um, where yes. they uh, yeah, where, where there's actually there's this uh, this this movie is full of little character things. Like firstly, yeah. this this um. It's kind of a, a pull raft. You get this big raft, and the raft hauls you over the the river. And the first thing is they get to get some supplies. You know, they need some food and some horse fodder and this kind of stuff. And the uh, the old lady, who's this toothless pipe smoking old yeah. grand, um, <laughs> who's clearly just clocked with Josie Wales. Yeah, she knows who like, she knows who he is. Yeah, and she's like, well, you know what I say? I say you wish you like. He goes, well, let me pay you. No, you'll get me when you see. Me. Yeah. It's just like, um, but her son is is far more mercenary. He's basically saying. You know, I'm a I'm a ferryman in the middle of a war. I can sing Battle Hymn of the Republic and yeah, Dixie with yeah. equal aplomb. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they've also got a, a traveling snake oil salesman who's again in this, oh, this yeah, really, yeah. brilliant white smock coat oh, um, no. with a little bottle of oh yeah, your your friend's been Elix. shot, has he? This this elixir yeah. will save you. Yeah. Um, and later on, later on, we meet him again, and he's asked, "What is it made of?" He goes, "I don't know. I'm just, I just sell it." <laughs> yeah, but he's but it's quite funny because he's, he's waving this bottle, you know, in front of him. I say, "It will, yeah. it will cure bullet wounds. It will cure yeah. the, the gout. It will cure everything." And Wales just spits tobacco juice on his shirt. Goes, "Will it get stains out?" <laughs> he has a lot of spitting on. Films, oh my goodness! Doesn't he? Goodness me! Christ! It's grim, isn't it? Yeah, but. Uh, it's funny because he always spits before violence yeah. ensues. <laughs> yeah, and I, I or, or if he's spitting on a dog. Yeah, is it a corpse? A corpse, a yeah, dog, or when it's about to kick off. And I do think, you know, if if because he does tend to look where he's spitting. I thought if I was facing Josie Wales and he took his eyes off me for a yeah. second, that's when I'd start shooting. I wouldn't yeah. wait for him to finish his spit. <laughs> it's like I don't give up. I'm like, die with right. spit. 
they're big spits as well, aren't they? And it's, it's a whole it's quite, lot of spit. It's quite the tell. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> if I see Josie Wells spitting, I'm either shooting him first or I'm running away really yeah. fast. Yeah, exactly. Unless he's looking at you whilst he's spitting, in which he case you're I, dead. I, was, I looked where his eyes were. He was always looking yeah. at where he was yeah, spitting. Yeah, yeah. But that that not said. So as he's been again, there's a, a quite a funny scene when he's been rowed across the 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 the, the, the raft bridge, and then uh, as the the um, Terrell and Fletcher turn up with their posse on the other yeah. side, and the the raftman's like, "I'll slow him down," and he like races across there, like yeah. he's not going to slow down at all. Is he? I want I want I want the five thousand dollars. He's thinking. Yeah. So um so Wales just sits there waiting for them. He's like, "What the hell's going on?" Fletcher's like, "This is a bad mistake." And tells her, "No, we're fine." He goes, yeah, just well, go, why were you just sitting here? <laughs> yeah, Fletcher go and turn around. So yeah, Wales basically gets out his trusty rifle and as a half across the river shoots away the uh, the rope. So the entire party just gets sailing down the river. Because <laughs> like, yeah, there's it's a little kind of posse banjo music going to because because yeah, the snake oil salesman is like you're for it now Wales we have a yeah. thing in this country called justice we got a thing called the Missouri boat ride <laughs> so uh, oh, so yes but uh, but even then uh, poor Jamie can't hold out he's uh, he he's, can't can he he succumbs to his wounds yeah. and uh, and so Back Wales this, is I'd say oh not before time um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in fairness I, I I was quite taken to Jamie then because he clearly hero worships Wales Wales. You know, we, we we see what Wales could uh, could do. Not only in his the fact he was killing anything in sight, mm. and he had a reputation with the army, but the fact that he was looked up to so much as kind of a father figure by Jamie. And, and, and if, um, yeah, and uh, it's quite useful in the film as well because what what Josie Wells doesn't do is patronise him. He, he you know he he ex- he almost accepts at face value the the way that he looks up to him, doesn't he? And it's yeah. the, it enables us to warm to Josie Wells a bit because up Absolutely, until that point yeah. he doesn't he, he's a cypher he's, there's nothing about him is there yeah he's just killed a lot of people so yeah. far but yeah um, but you're right it was like yeah because whenever they escaped him which basically meant whenever Wales shot someone yeah. James was all like uh, we whooped him again didn't we yeah. Josie we and sure it, did. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, they're not equal partners, but J- mm. Jamie was really getting, you know, was, you know, he was getting a kick out of sharing in mm. this adventure. Um, and the fact and, that he's been shot as well means that he that Wales has a caring role yeah. to play. Yeah, and yeah, and the fact, yeah, he, he was uh, when he was first shot, he was just saying, "Well, uh, Josie, I'm scared of dying," but at the end, he goes, "I'm not scared anymore." But thank mm. you so much for you know taking me on this ride. Mm. Um, so which is great, and was quite nice. But then Wales is on his own, but uh, but not for long. Not for long, no. As he uh, goes to the Indian territories, doesn't he? He does to the the nations to again to escape pursuit. Um, yeah. And and before long, he's uh, I think the uh, he is no, he's trying to be ambushed, but uh, slightly failed yeah. ambushed by a very old uh, Indian chief. Uh, called uh, Lone Whitey. Um, Lone Whitey, yeah, played by Chief Dan George. Yeah, Chief Dan George. Yeah. yeah. Um, who again is again? He's got long white hair and he's is very. He's, he's kind of got this rambling style of talking. Like everything is an old anecdote to him. Um, yeah. and he 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 was also again. He says like he was he was like an irregular fighting for the Confederacy himself. He was like I never surrendered. Yeah. He took my horse and made him surrender. <laughs> now he's probably carting what is it now he's probably hauling cart in kansas or something yeah. like that <laughs> yeah, he's, he's quite a laconic character in this isn't he yeah. he, he he's um i mean it there's a i always find i tend to find there's a stereotype when um native americans are in films like this because they they're that mystical thoughtful and in some respects lone whitey kind of scuppers that a bit by being um a bit cheeky and yeah. he's got you know he's 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 got quips in him and i think he's a bit 
he's a bit down on his luck, isn't he? In, in that yeah. regard, you know, he's old and he's he's getting a bit dodgy. He can't sneak up on people anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they kind of decide to head off to Mexico. Um, to be clear, yeah. uh, for which they need a horse um, for for Lone Whitey to ride. So by going into again a local dry goods store, once again Wales is ambushed by a couple of guys. Yeah, once yeah. again, he man- <laughs> I don't know how he was recognised there because this is you know a pre-internet age. How on earth did two guys yeah. recognise Josie Wales, who you know maybe you know um, formidable, but is not famous uh, no, to the extent because right. as soon as they see him, they draw pistols. We got Josie Wales, like God, good eyes, guys. There. Yeah. Um, but. Nonetheless, the, there's you know. one time later on in the film where he's not recognised. Yeah. Um, and that's a bit weird because you expect him to be recognised at that point because, it's, well, yeah. you know. Well, there's another bit in the film when he meets the, uh, the snake oil salesman again who just, and they're, they're trying to keep a low profile. Oh, and the yeah. just goes, yeah. yes, Josie Wells! <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, in dealing with these two guys, so he shoots these two guys and takes their horses and also finds, again, another Native American, Little Moonlight. So um, mm. a girl who was, uh, I know she was Mis- sold to the Mistreated shorts. by the um, by the owner of the, what's it, you know, like the, the, the dry goods the store, store yeah. the dry goods store, yeah. Who, yeah, she who, was, she was who like, the people are in. Yeah, yeah it was, she was beaten by him and what yeah. happens. So basically, she just decides it's time to bug her off. Yeah. Um, so she, so they has got a little bit of a posse now. Yeah, they join, she joins the crew. Uh, and again, this, it kind of works all because she's, she's a good cook. She's looking after them. Yeah. Um, it's, obviously, she doesn't speak English. She's talking through Lone Whitey. Um, yeah. He's translating for her. So there's like, there's like a three-way thing going on between all of them. And she doesn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Does she? she talks a lot. That is true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, she brings the dog as well that uh, oh, Josie yes, Wales yes. keeps spitting on. <laughs> but yeah, so they they move on again. We will skip ahead, but there is a point when um, Rails finds you know, after they've all gone to bed at night. Rails gets up because yeah. he hears a noise and finds you know, little Moonlight who is about twenty um, yeah. in, in underneath the uh, the furs with Lone Whitey, yeah. and he just looks up saying, "Guess I'm not that old." <laughs> Which comes back to why he's quite cheeky. Yeah, that's why I think there's a there's a lightness of touch to some elements of the film, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but where do we go next? We, we continue. They 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 carry on. Oh, and they carry into a kind of a civilized town. But interestingly, mm-hmm. after they've crossed the river, um, they go from what you consider to be that kind of Civil War Missouri back yeah into more traditional of, western. Yeah, it goes from it? kind of yeah. wet swamps and, and thick forest into the the open plains and the, yeah. the hot, hot. I suppose areas. they're getting close to Mexico, aren't they? So they're in Texas, yeah. aren't they? So, but we we have we have crossed into what you'd call a war setting to a cowboy setting. Yeah, like. it's right. Um, but yeah, they they come to this uh, again this um, this township where again once again the, the stakeholders would clock Josie Wales. Yeah. Four Union soldiers uh, looking at him. None um, of them do anything. They're 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 terrified. Yeah. Well, not terrified, to, but apprehensive, aren't they? He has to goad them, saying, "You're going to pull those pistols or whistle Dixie." Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he he guns down three of them, and again, Lone Whitey gets the fourth. And they have a quite little conversation, saying, "You know, yeah. how did you know which one to go for?" Wales explains which one he went for. You know, which one looked the most dangerous, and this kind of yeah. stuff. And Whitey goes, well, "What about the fourth one?" He goes, "I didn't even think about the fourth one at all. Wait, you were there." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he said, "But I might have missed." <laughs> <laughs> I paid him no heed. Yeah, that was it. Um, but so as as they're also you know doing all this shooting of uh, cowboys and have you, they spot um, they do. A, a kind of a, well, a pilgrim family. Um, there's a again a, a grandma and a grand a grandfather and uh, their their young granddaughter. Um, so the uh, was it the grandma Sarah Turner? She's, grandma Sarah Turner, yeah, that's yeah, right. She she is full of opinions. Basically, she doesn't like Missourians, does she? She hates Missourians, and, <laughs> and she's uh, she's 
She likes Kansas people, although not yeah. all Kansas people, because someone goes, I'm a Hoosier myself. Well, I ain't too keen on Hoosiers either. Yeah, I don't have so, much time for Hoosiers. Yeah. I'm guessing anyone who didn't live within a 20-yard radius of her yeah, house exactly. is deeply yeah. suspect. But she doesn't She doesn't like molasses, because yeah. it's Missouri. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so she's voicing opinions, but they're, they're saying they're heading off to see their, yeah. their um, son who set up a nice little homestead further down the, the way. But um, again, so we see no more of them until, again, Wales and his crew get wind of some Camancheros. Yeah, they do. Who are yeah. Kind of a, a mix of kind of everybody, you know, desperados and, uh, and scalp hunters and what have you, who basically attack and, and loot and pillage uh, and get their hands on. And sure enough, they uh, they find these Comancheros have attacked this this pilgrim family. Oh, so the yeah. grandfather's they, been they killed. Killed the grandfather. Yeah, and they they've uh, again the grandmother is now he's just weeping over his corpse, and then they they discover the uh, the granddaughter who's about it's probably in her twenties. Um, yeah. Who's Sandra uh, Locke. Sandra Locke, um, playing Laura Lee, uh, who's. Uh, well, we'll come to a character after the fish gets dragged out, stripped almost, almost naked, yeah. and almost brutally abused until um, what do you have? The leader says, "Hang on, she, well, she'll get a better price if she's in one in one piece." Yeah, that's true. So he just calls off the what would be a rather gruesome scene. It's pretty gruesome anyway. Yeah, it is. Um, I think that's what gives the film its eighteen certificate. Yeah, yeah, it was nasty. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, Wales and his crew are just watching this from afar. Again, possibly because yeah. there's about seven or eight coming sheriffs. There's quite a lot yeah. to take on. Yeah. Um, but what happens? Is they, I think in their in their travels, they also manage to get hold of uh, Lone Whitey because he slips and falls in yes. his spying. So yes. they get they get Lone Whitey as well. So um, they all of them kind of got. He's got. He feels he feels obliged to intervene now, doesn't he? Just he says he says it was because uh, Little Moonlight wouldn't stop shutting up about him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, really, he's he's gone to rescue his people now. Um. So sure enough, he comes up and there's there's some shots going on, but there's the the ending is never in doubt. You know, Wales yeah. kills a lot of them. Um. So now he's not only recovered Lone Whitey, got Little Moonlight, her dog, now Grandma Turner and uh, and uh, Laura <laughs> Lee, a part of his. Yeah. But that one of the uh, Camancheros is played by um, Richard Farnsworth. Oh, right. Who was in misery as the um detective the local detective no yeah that's richard farnsworth one of them was yeah oh, wow. I, I know i recognized him immediately almost so it's obviously early career richard farnsworth i did not clock that at all oh wow okay. he, he has a speaking part when they confront josie wales there's like four of them in a row uh, okay uh, so yes, yeah, so uh, so Wales now has a th- grandma has a slightly moderated her, her feelings about she has, Missouri. She's had to really, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, and if it, yeah, if it, she she's got quite the art because she she was you know, obviously <coughs> weeping over her husband, but you know having yeah. been rescued from certain death or worse. Yeah. Um, she's moderate they come to the town where again they were supposed to be setting up but again the silvers run dry and there's only yeah. a handful of people there again two of which were farmhands who were um who were due to work on this this ranch so uh they they come along too um wales kind of wins favor with them because they come into the saloon where there's nothing left except for again, the old barkeep the uh kind of the the lady of the house yeah. and a couple of farmhands he brings in this crate of whiskey taken from the camancheros well they so, ask him if you know can you get your drink he says can i have some whiskey and they're like no <laughs> we've got any whiskey what about a beer no <laughs> so then he brings a crate of whiskey yeah. in and everyone's like hey so everyone's very happy with him now <laughs> um, indeed and so there their little troop goes on to the the farmstead yeah they've, um, get, they've gathered more now they've gathered yeah. more they've got it's a little village now really, like little ducklings it? yeah they will gather yeah. together although they yeah. then they run afoul their next run afoul is with them um, again 10 bears who's kind of yeah a Comanche, it's a Comanche, isn't it? yeah yeah so they, they again as, as we as we know character. from previous um indeed. previous movies you don't mess with the comanche no you don't <laughs> yeah. 
and and sure enough, the uh, the Comanche capture to the two farmhands and mm. bury them up to their necks in sand. Uh, and again, Lin Whitey, I think he's, he only just escapes. Uh, and they're now, we think, and they think, they're heading for a, a very traditional yeah. Western shootout where the oh, Comanche are going to... Yeah, because they they um they start barricading the doors of the homestead. They start loading the rifles. They start you know they they look for the jo- blind spots. Josie Wales, yeah, he goes around the goes around the homestead and says, "Look, okay, fire from here. Watch this. Watch this. Is the only way that they can exit with it. We're, we're, we've got a blind spot. So make sure you watch this bit here. Yeah. So they're all prepared. Yeah. They've got a good tactic. And then I think what happens next is what makes this a seventies movie rather than a fifties one is Josie yeah. Wales rides off. To, to face the Comanche, to face ten bears himself, yeah. and and you, you even know this is something Wales can't shoot his way out of because he's surrounded yeah. by about a hundred Comanche. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. he talks to ten bears, this is not a case if he'll just draw his pistols real quick. Um, and then he, he talks to ten bears and basically says, um, "I don't want to kill you. You don't want to kill me. Um, yeah. You know, you go in peace and help me out. I'll go in peace and help you out. Yeah. We'll, we'll strike a deal. Yeah, you can have some of our livestock and some of our produce, but leave us alone." Yeah, and he's just, it basically says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done fighting. I'm done killing. Yeah. We shouldn't have to kill each other anymore." And basically, because he also portrays himself as a man of violence, he says, "Um, I speak the word of death, so you can believe my word of life." Yeah, um, yeah. And he's saying, "Like clever, actually, isn't it? It's clever. It's a clever scene." Yeah, because because yeah, the subtext is if you say no, I'm starting shooting anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And that that is enough to win over Tempest, who was a war chief himself, and. Yeah. And so, actually, yeah, what what happens is not a massive shootout with the um the Indian tribes. It's just they they decide to make peace and kind of um and live by side by side each other. It says a lot. I mean, that's the scene I think that says a lot about Clint Eastwood's politics as well. Yeah. He is a libertarian and an anti. He's anti-government, and there's a lot of anti-government talk in that, isn't there? Yeah, you know, yeah. like people should live together. Uh, which just people, government shouldn't interfere, all this kind of stuff. He's almost getting his political points across in this. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, we're not denied our shootout because sure we enough, the red, the red legs turn up. They do. Um, it is quite nice that when the, when the red legs do turn up, they're kind of shot from red leg. Yeah. So when, when the horse rides in, you see the because they wear these these kind of band these um cloth over their calves, like right, yeah. and they're all red. So you see that first, and then you see um. So there's about I don't know a dozen of them all riding up against Wales. Uh, he rides out to face them alone. Um, but as he says, I'm not alone because sure enough, um, all the people he's gathered together are in the farmstead to back him up. So a big old shootout appears. Um, and yeah, the red legs basically gunned down as if they were they were the Comanche. Um, yeah. So the and yeah, no, no one again, a few scrapes, but most of the, the gang inside are OK. Wales uh, gets slightly injured, but he chases down Captain Terrell. Um, who, to be honest, was never that much of a threat, despite the he's fact not, that he burned yeah. Wales Hampstead down and and did all that. You never really feel he's a danger. No, he, I, there isn't really an archetypal villain in this. I mean, they're a villainous, they're a, they're they're a villainous <laughs> groups, I suppose. But there isn't really a villain, is there? Yeah, if we'd seen Terrell, you know, outdraw someone as fast as Wales, because this is yeah. actually it wasn't really about that. So, uh, I mean, I think the kind of point was we think I think Terrell was on the original raid that destroyed Josie Wales' yeah. farmstead back at the beginning of the film, and it's almost like a repeat of that. His farmstead is being attacked again, yeah. except this time he has his he has people with him to back him up. And well, I that think, yeah, the balance. yeah. I also think Terrell is, and you know, Terrell and the. Um, uh, and possibly Fletcher and uh, others are metaphors for government aren't they that's what they are yeah <laughs> they're there to, to crush and overwhelm yeah um, um but again this was the they, they're successful they've done it they've got their lives together and as the last coda uh wales kind of rides into town and finds a couple of texas rangers who are bounty hunting for wales yeah. and captain terrell and um basically everyone in the town is now saying josie wales 
Yeah, he's dead. He got killed. <laughs> I heard he, down in Mexico, he got killed by uh, Pistoleros. Yeah. And is the text Rangers, are you sure? He goes, yeah, we'll swear an affidavit for that. So, yeah, the, the case is closed. Uh, Wales yeah. is dead. Of course, Fletcher is Fletcher standing knows. right in front of yep. Wales. He knows, doesn't and, he? But, but it's, again, no one's giving their hand away. Fletcher gives a rise up saying, I don't believe that Wales could be killed by any Pistoleros. And, <laughs> and literally him and Wales are now almost squaring off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? It's like, yeah. Um, in fact, I think if, if I saw Wales now... I'd say you know I owe him the first move. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd yeah. I'd like to. It's like I'd like to, I'd tell him that I was sorry and I'd tell him that the war was over. Um, and then he says, "What? What? And what do you think Wales would think about this?" And he'd probably agree or something like that. And he goes, I, "No, I guess we all died a little in that dam." Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and that closes so again. Uh, Fletcher's kind of made his peace. Wales Wales can live in peace. And with that with, is, with Laura Lee. With Laura Lee, um, as Clint Eastwood manages to pull uh, Sandra Locke in the film. Yeah, from from the from underneath, well, from underneath, from the from the from the hands of Philip Kaufman. Yes, although I think she was married at the time, so they were both pitching their hats. They were a little bit, yeah. No one yeah. comes out of it squeaky clean, do they? No. So we, yeah, we should mention one of the reasons why uh, Philip Kaufman, the director, was fell out with Clint Eastwood. They were both trying to um, go out with the same woman. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> they're trying to woo Sandra Locke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there we are. Um, so that, that thus ends the epic of Josie Wales. Yeah, indeed. Very good. Not not bad at all. You a good 35-minute synopsis. Okay. That, you know, it's all right, isn't it? Well, look, that is the outlaw Josie Wales. We'll get into some of the themes, um, what we thought of the film, shortly. In the in the meantime, no no quips. Um, oh, come on, think of a quip. Sa- I was just going to saddle up <laughs> for the next section of the podcast, but that's so passe. In the meantime, spit your metaphorical tobacco juice on the nearest corpse and/or dog, uh, and we will and we will join you within moments. Fantastic. Welcome back, dear listener. Um, I hope that you have partaken of some of the elixir of uh, the snake oil salesman. Percy and... Long. <laughs> and feel um renewed vigor to um get to the end of this podcast with us <laughs> um but yeah so the outlaw Josie well um yeah where do we begin where do we begin shall we begin with the 70s shall we begin with what yeah. this film is yeah i yeah. guess because you, you you said at the start this is a very this feels very 70s i mean notwithstanding that it is very 70s yeah. why does it feel very 70s to you why does it feel 70s to me um I mean, it's 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 dark. I think even even mm. um, even compared to some of the spaghetti westerns where we had you know um, you know people being gunned down, you know, whole whole homesteads going up in flames and but they're stuff. stylized, aren't they? Yeah, and I don't think this is. No, this um, isn't stylized. It's, this is quite um, bleak. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's the outlook. I mean, it, it begins yeah. literally with you know the massacre of someone's family, and yeah. and not in the way that. Um, well, here's yeah, here's a great example. The, you know, the Searchers has the massacre of a homestead, but there you're just shown you know the burning house, yeah. and someone walks yeah. in and walks back out again. Yeah. Here we're shown. Oh my God, I'm just picturing now that when Josie Wales is dragging his son's corpse in a blanket and his hand yeah. flops out. Yeah. I mean, that was so heartbreaking. Um, it was, <laughs> and you see you see his wife being dragged out of the house, which is being burnt down. And again, and yeah. once again in uh, in the Searchers you know um john wayne comes back having seen the ravaged um, yeah. corpse of his niece here yeah. you actually see uh, yeah. laura lee get her clothes torn off and you know almost set upon by all the common yeah. sharers and and while while i think the the dollars trilogy is possibly more violent in its 
I think it's more violent, but this is a bigger body count. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, But I think I think there's a the thing about the the Dollars trilogy is it's stylized violence, and in some respects, it's it's not comedic violence at all, but it's very stylized. This is this isn't at all stylized. This is quite gritty, isn't it? Yeah. There's there's dirt and muck. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We get let's have the Dollars trilogy. You know, it's punctuated. You know, you get um, to go shoot someone and say, "When you got to shoot, shoot." Don't talk. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 got kind of James Bond type punchline. But there are quips in this. There are quips in it, like, well, Buzzard's got to eat the same as well, because yeah. we want to bury these guys, Buzzard's got to eat the same as well. That's quite, a, that's quite a cold line. It um, is, yes. Especially cold, when he spits on the corpses yeah. as well. It's, it's cold. Like, yeah, he, he he leaves them for dead, and that's that. Um, yes, and I agree. Say, and, he was, yeah, and they were happy, they were just killing kill. Interestingly, I don't know if this is this is related to that, but the, um, in terms of the, the directorial style, there's a lot of kind of... Um, first person shooter <laughs> whenever someone gets shot you see it from the point of view of the gun like the pistol will appear and it shoots them and they'll, they'll drop down and i'm thinking in, in other cowboy films that were older you'd normally see the shot you'd cut to the person kind of clutching yes, their chest dramatically yeah. they'd go down here it's like the the violence and the the, the effect are in the same shot yeah. and that makes it much more immediate even when it's like the um the, the gatling going you still yeah. see it taking people down in the same shot and that's yeah quite, it's that, quite that makes it's, it that's very different isn't it yeah that's right the um the the way that yeah you're right that that's a, that's a good point the way that the film is filmed as well it's it it's there's less it's less um it feels less kind of Hollywood as well doesn't it it's it feels a bit grittier it feels almost it, not documentary style but but certainly the cinematography is a bit grainier um, yeah. you know the location shooting really 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 feels location shooting doesn't it, it doesn't feel yeah. like there's any studio there when they're going through kind of swamp land or over they're really doing that and it's grubby and dirty and i think that's a 70s thing it's much more the the sound design brings in the sounds from the surroundings so you feel like you're outside you feel like you're in a wilderness whereas some of the earlier films the sound design is quite studio based yes and so it's quite silent there's a vacuum you hear the things that you're supposed to hear but in the outlaw Josie wales you hear everything yeah and it, it you know you hear footsteps you hear people running you hear the mud you hear the wind in the trees you hear the river flowing and all that kind of stuff and it's filmed there and then and that i think is a very 70s thing as well yeah i'd say again it's um and in terms of the characters, I wouldn't say it's like this is you know the first film or the only film to to kind of set Native Americans in a different light, but it's mm. it's certainly a step away from what you'd expect in again a, a western to have again Indian characters who are just again either lost or you know need need um, yeah you know, they're not they're not that stereotypical of you know I can you know sense the wind and I can I can hear the wind yeah, and I can yeah, yeah. it's basically Lone Whitey is just another character who's cut adrift and and finds himself in Josie Wales's orbit and it's. Yeah. And he's got his story, and you know, he is. sense he was. He had a story beforehand. He'll have a story after this. Yeah, he and will. he's just passing through. He doesn't exist just to be a supporting character in this. No, absolutely. Um, one of the things that surprised me about the film actually was the way in which this feels almost like a road movie. Yeah. Um, where yeah, where Josie Wells picks up the lost, the the hounded, the hurt on the way right yeah. so by the end of it he has a gaggle yeah. of community of which he is the unwitting perhaps leader but a leader who almost takes the responsibility as well um yeah. in the context of 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 the community that he, he he hasn't set the community up but they have gravitated towards him 
and they are now a they're a little commune at the end aren't they um and i wasn't sure what i was expecting at the time i thought the film would be pretty much josie wales hiding out in the wilderness taking out people as he needs yeah. to take him out i didn't think it would be effectively almost it's a, a character study is probably too strong a word but um a, a film which presents different characters at different points all on the journey toward i don't know what so i think what this film has is a bit of an ambiguity about what what is josie wells actually doing yeah what, what what's his purpose in the end he, he's heading toward mexico but it's not really explained why is he heading toward mexico other than to be safe but i don't think you know it's i, I quite like that about the film there was an ambiguity to it it was a bit rambling yeah well actually what i found and this is the most ridiculous thing i can say about it is it was almost it was almost gentle the film in the way it, it is, went yes it was it's because it was it's exactly yeah. right yeah because it was completely moving, agree yeah because the entire film is him moving away from violence it begins yes. with the ultra violence again at first his homestead but then the civil war he is he is at his most violent at the start of the movie you know he is he is yeah. literally killing an army with, yeah. with a machine gun and though he obviously is still capable of fighting and you know there's a there's a shootout at the end which is almost you know expected um you could you could dispense with a shootout and have the same ending um yeah. what basically the, the finale of the film is the scene with 10 spot when he when he decides it's yes I'm, I'm i'm putting it all on the line here and i'm either going to go down for killing or i'm we're going to make peace and this is what i'm going to do to protect the people you say who've gravitated around me and formed a little community you know the uh the, the people he saved, the people who, who just joined him and, and were backing him up and all this kind of stuff. And that seems to be, I mean, I, it's a very, you call this, you know, you'd say this is a movie about someone whose family are killed and goes on a revenge trip. Yeah. And you'd think that's not the movie I'm watching. It's someone no, it whose, whose life was, was you know, violently destroyed, turned him into something. And he's spending the whole rest of the movie moving away from that to get back to the homesteader who's got people to look after at the end. Yeah. And by hook or by crook, by fate and fluke mm. he has along his journey accumulated a number of uh people yeah. who are almost in a similar position to him aren't they they've lost things yeah they're you know maybe not as extreme as a wife and a child but they've lost things they're dis disenfranchised um and they they obviously gravitate to each other in that context and you know i, I said at the start that the film feels quite bleak but i think I think the film is quite bleak in the sense that it's a critique of um, government interference with um, with people's lives. I mean, this was filmed just, you know, if not just after, then at the tail end of the Vietnam War. And so you can see this is a bit of an allegory of, you know, stop let people get on with their lives right yeah. and this is about this is about letting people get on with their lives and everything that happens in this film that is negative is born out of a, a kind of legal framework or a governmental framework or it's it's not based out of people just trying to live together is it i mean he's an outlaw he's outside of the government structure and yeah. in the end they all are aren't yeah they? yeah and again it's um what is it? Yeah, it's. I mean, Clint Eastwood called it uh, his anti-war film. Um, yeah. So it, you can definitely see that in it. And yeah, it's. Uh, what was I going to say? It was. Um, I lost my thread. I'll <laughs> yeah, no, Let, let's take a let's take a pause. Hang on. Let's take uh, a pause. I recover recover that. Um, yeah. So Josie Wells, uh, um, Clint Eastwood does call this his his anti-war film. Um, but I I I agree with that. I I, I think it's an I think it's an 
an, I can't think what the word is, but I think it's like an anti um, government interference film as well. I think it's a very, it's a highly politically charged film, yeah. but um, what's clever about it is that it wears its, it's, it's quite an engaging film, right? It's an engaging film to, to, to pass the time with. He's an engaging character, but what's interesting, what I quite like about Josie Wells, the character itself is that Clint Eastwood plays him at the start in the way that you think is going to be like the man with no name. Yes. You know, he's very taciturn. He he has one lines. He's not giving anything away. And as the film progresses, it, he, he isn't like that at all. He's very warm. He can be very warm, I should add. He can be very engaging. He has a relationship with a large number of people. And um, I think it's quite clever of Clint Eastwood in some respects, because by this time in his career, he's playing characters who are taciturn. You know, this, you know, obviously you've got the the the, the, the Dollars trilogy, but you've, he, you know, he would have by this point played Dirty Harry as well, which is a similar kind of thing, right? You know, he's quite taciturn. Yeah, yeah. Too, so he's quite taciturn in that. But there's, there's almost a, con, there's almost a flipping of those kind of Western traits that are associated with J.C. Wells. It's like you said, it's, it's only until we get toward the, the Mexican border that you start to see this as a as a kind of full-blown western whereas up until that point it's a civil war drama about individuals yeah isn't it yeah and that's that's there's two things there one yeah, we mentioned again from the good the bad and the ugly is that westerns don't normally touch the civil war um because no, yeah, the it, last two it, we've watched have haven't they yeah i mean this is not just touched it it's it's Again, it's half a war film and half a cowboy film. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, the, the first half is is just yeah, they they're, they're outlaws, but they're basically running from the army, having been in the yeah, army, and, yeah. they're, and they're using again guerrilla tactics. So that that was interesting too. And again, he the the last again the, the four people he guns down are Union soldiers. They're not even sheriffs or no, they're not. They're, they're soldiers. Just, yeah, they're soldiers. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's again you you can talk about you know where, where it blurs the line of what a cowboy film is. Um, but also yeah, you mentioned again the man with the name. To me, you get from the um, A Fistful of Dollars to Unforgiven through the outlaw Josie Wells. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, I was going to say that that was going to be <laughs> one of my points. Yeah, this is a this is a staging post, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to, it's, to it's, that, that, yeah, it's it's not. I mean, it's it's. Their staging was, it's not just a, a you know, stopping place. It is like another temple, but is there three? Yes, it is. Yeah. Three stops is yeah. Yeah, um, the, th- the three peaks, aren't they? You, <coughs> yeah. yeah, you've got you've got the good, bad, and the ugly, or the dollars trilogy. Then this, which kind of mixes some of that dollars trilogy lore yeah. with a much more a kind of I suppose it's it's a bleak, it's a much more subdued view. Too unforgiven. You're right. Which is which which I think is for me, unforgiven is the. It's almost like the perfect outlaw Josie Wales film in in, in some <laughs> respects. Oh, it's a different film. I, I get that, but yeah, it, it's clear. This is almost you could see these. You could see the outlaw Josie Wales and Unforgiven being a kind of a Clint a, a Clint Eastwood double header, right? Absolutely. Um, they are they are they're made they're cut from the same cloth. I think. Um, so absolutely agree with that completely. I, I felt that hugely watching this film that um, I wanted to finish it and then watch Unforgiven. As yeah. a as a consequence, because it, it's not just the story; it's the feel of the film as well, the way it looks and feels. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is interesting. Yeah, something you know made what, twenty or more years after it mm. makes the perfect companion and makes this film better by better its because existence. of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you could almost see William Money 
as an older version of Josie Wales. Absolutely, yeah. You know, he is, he is, he could have been called Josie Wales, yeah, couldn't yeah. he? Right. Yeah. And he's just, it's he's just even 20 guns, years later. Yeah, again, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it's, yeah, it's a really good, really good connection there. Um, I mean, we could go into the kind of stuff about the, the, the background of the film, because in, in, in some respects, this is notorious, I guess, for the the behind the scenes yes, yeah. um, shenanigans that were taking place um, uh, within the film itself. And often that leads to a film which is very discombobulated, doesn't have a voice and it's a bit of a fraud. Now, I, I, I have no strong opinions about Philip Kaufman and he has directed a number of films um, which have won awards, including Oscars in the unbearable likeness of being uh, is one of those, um, you know, and he's done films like um, uh, The Right Stuff and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, good films, you know, you know yeah. not to speak for the government, but the fact that he was fired relatively early on, but fired nevertheless by Clint Eastwood, and yet Clint Eastwood came in and made the film, the film it is, is I think testament to Clint Eastwood's direction, right? Because <laughs> um, this is a, I don't know what a Clint Eastwood film looks like, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is there a, is there a, is there a, a is there an Eastwood-esque filming style, like there might be a Scorsese filming style or a, or a David Fincher filming style, for example? I'm not sure there is. Right. I don't know what I don't know what an Eastwood direction. What is an Eastwood film? Yeah, I see what you mean there. I mean, I think it's 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 less identifiable, maybe because I haven't looked too carefully. But I think you you know when you're watching one. <laughs> I mean, you a... But I, I think with 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 Eastwood films, there are more about the message than that it is about the directorial flair or the style of the flair. Yeah, but, so I mean, so I mean you, you you know the feel of one when you're watching one. Um, it's a bit like Rob Reiner we were, when we were talking about him in the yeah, sense that, true. you know, it, it, is there the Reinerian directorial flair? Probably not. But what is common amongst Reiner films is that sense of characterization, the sense of warming to particular characters, the sense of being immersed in that character's world. And that's what I think Eastwood does really well. And we can't forget, Eastwood has directed so many films films yeah you know he, he and he isn't a director that was in he he, he wasn't a direct, an actor turned director he was directing from 70s. the early 70s yeah you know and i think people forget that and he, i mean he's directed so many films it's ridiculous and he, he still is he's like 96 and he's still directing films yeah, you can mean he, he did flags of our fathers and let's win regime as well. Like he's done big movies. Yeah. Not, they're not just not, all cabaret. Because like you could say a Grand Torino, that's just a modern cabaret movie. But he's done everything. Invictus, yeah. Jersey yeah. Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Bird, Space you know, Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, Space Cowboys. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mystic River. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, American Sniper, Sully. Yeah, so he's cranked them out. Yeah, he does loads. Bridges of Madison County, The Changeling, um, Cry Macho, which is another one. A, a Perfect World, forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Changeling, ah, God, Changeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. 
what what's going on? Firefox? I mean, it's a terrible film, but he did direct <laughs> that, nevertheless. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so the rookie got, with Charlie yeah. Sheen. Remember that? Yeah. He's using that. The Iger sanction. Come on, man! It's almost like he directs his films so that he can be in them. That's his career. <laughs> he is his employer. Yeah. So it's, it's a heck of a filmography behind it. Yeah, but um, it, it really, but, it, but it's interesting. Yeah, the fact that yeah he fell out so much with Philip Kaufman, and again the. Then the, the director set to invent something called the Eastwood Rule that allowed <laughs> that meant an actor couldn't fire a director once he was on the set. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, I can kind of understand that because Eastwood does come across as a bit of a, um, I don't know. I, I think it's the whole thing about his. He, he seems to have had about you know twenty wives yeah. and loads of affairs, and he's got loads of children. I get the he doesn't really give a damn. <laughs> well, apparently um, the. Uh, they, when they when they preview this, the executives, um, one of the young executives said, "It's a great movie, but I think you could lose about thirty minutes of it." Which, frankly, I could say the same. Uh, and that's, <laughs> um, yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, um, but no, Eastwood wouldn't because he said, "Okay, you can do that." Then and it's like, um, "Where will you be, Mister Eastwood?" Oh, I'll be yeah, yeah, Warner Brothers cutting a new deal. Ah, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he he put his foot down and wouldn't let him cut cut the movie to what would be a much more reasonable hour and forty. Yeah, because uh, I think you could probably this is maybe one of the flaws in the film. I think you could probably lose a couple of those. Um, random encounters. Inter- random encounters. You're right. Yeah. You know, I don't think it needs. Yeah. It doesn't need to have as many as yeah. uh, as it is. And I actually found myself, it, particularly in the first half of the film, getting a bit bogged down with when's because uh, I was just expecting it. To, there's going to be another one in a minute, isn't there? Yeah. And, uh, it's the same kind of thing. Well, once it, you've established that Josie Wales is indestructible, you don't need to keep doing it, do you? No, no. It, it doesn't get you anywhere. Um, and if it again. Each one of them serves the plot in some way. I mean, one of them allowed Jamie to have a part play. One of them rescued um, Little Moonlight. All that does it. But, you know, you can get around that. You, you can. You, can. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't need the same encounter all the time. Interestingly, talking about, again, the background movie, to go beyond even production was the uh, the source material is even oh, dodgier. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, so, it's, a very, it's a very fascist. Well, yeah, um, it, was, it was written, yeah. the Rebel Outlaw, Jesse Wells, written yeah. by you know, a, a KKK organiser and, yeah. and, uh, and the speechwriter for the uh, George Wallace presidential candidate um which is but, odd isn't it because the film doesn't come across like that <laughs> well I, I think again I think well, yeah, when you, you take an unknown book and you can do what you like with it so it must yes, have been heavily of work I mean I can imagine uh, having never read the book and no desire to but it was probably just about Josie Wales a guy who never gives up because he never never surrenders to the, the union yeah. and will just keep on shooting bounty hunters and union soldiers forever because he won't give up and I think the fact that the the screenwriters, you know, Kaufman or Eastwood, took that story and turned it into something basically a man who finds peace. After yeah, that, yeah, is very interesting. I did think actually one probably one of the um, the hangups of the uh, of the original story was trying to link it into genuine history because if you remember um, when Josie Wells is found initially after his farm's been burned, the you know, the um, the Missouri riders get him. And the leader introduced himself, my name's Anderson, Bloody Bill Anderson. Yeah. Um, do you want to come in? And the thing was, Bloody Bill Anderson was a genuine historical character. He was a, he was uh, a, and, but then they show a scene where he gets killed and then Fletcher takes over. But basically, Bill Anderson is, you know, a, a bearded, deep spoken leader of the gang and gets replaced by Fletcher, who is a fictional, deep spoken leader. Yes. Bearded leader of the gang. yes. You, you could have just had Fletcher turn up and, uh, yeah, you could I have. Remember, been, yeah, I, yeah. I when I first saw the movie, I assumed it was Fletcher. And I watched it again, thinking, "Oh no, they, they changed the name for some reason." Um, so it's more like that—that that was not needed. You could have had Fletcher saying, "I'm going to make it right," and that would have actually been a better bookend if Fletcher yeah. had found Wales and then Fletcher said goodbye to Wales. Um, so it's things like that. Um, 
But it's only a minor point, but I just think you didn't need also have uh, Bill Anderson again had had obviously a bloody reputation. Um but I can't help thinking, yeah, um, he sounds very northern when you say that. <laughs> he doesn't need Bill Who's Anderson. that? It's bloody Bill Anderson, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Get him to yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah, I suppose in America it yeah. is genuinely supposed to be bloody, isn't it? Like yeah. he's he's bloody but it, yeah, it's like, oh I buy it's bloody Bill Anderson. <laughs> oh, what's he doing so, now? Has yeah. he burnt down farms <laughs> again? Oh, bloody Bill Anderson. <laughs> Will he never learn? <laughs> Yeah, I thought just just because he's a bloody sheep whisperer <laughs> doesn't mean we doesn't mean we have to put up with him at the pub down down pub. <laughs> um, I mean <clears throat> the yes, yeah, so I was reading about that as well. And I thought, well, uh, I I would actually be interested in reading the novel just to see what the differences are because I can understand Eastwood's attraction, not not to the not not to the historical background of the. Of the author or the book necessarily but i can understand eastwood's attraction to some of the more palatable um sentiments which are which i think would be shown in the film about this um almost almost a libertarian or anti-government type view of things in that regard um so i would be interested to see how far that is translated from the book or whether it is completely made up in the context of the film itself and they just use the bare bones of the 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 plot really of the book in that context um the other thing i wanted to say is you know we, we we speak about going through the decades of of this and i you know i think that this is a very distinctively 1970s film um but in the context of the western i don't think the 70s was a particularly impressive decade for westerns so we we've gone from the golden age of the western yeah. in the in in the 40s and 50s to the re, not the resurgence of the western but the revisionist westerns in the 1960s right uh and, and now i think the outlaw josie wells is kind of an example of it being perhaps more thoughtful in the way that it's presented but when you look at the westerns from that era they are all of a similar ilk in taking some of those Western tropes and making them a kind of um, a grittier, grubbier, um, bleaker um, kind of verite style approach to filmmaking. So in the 70s, some of the most popular Westerns in the 70s were uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is a Robert Altman film. So that's obviously going to be very um, almost improvised in the way that it's filmed. You've got The Outlaw Josie Wales, you've got uh, High Plains Drifter, you've got Duck You Sucker, which was the follow-up uh, Leone film from Once Upon a Time in the West. You've got Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, you've got Jeremiah Johnson, Little Big Man, um, The Shootist, and that's about it. Oh, really? Oh, and you've got the Blazing Wild Saddles. Bunch? I was about no, to say Blazing Saddles. Blazing is... Saddles is a different feeling. It's a different thing, I think. But, but um, The Wild Bunch is the 60s. How is it? It's oh, yeah, we get, we'd include, yeah. yeah. I was going to say Blazing Saddles because they, um, someone was commenting this on the uh, the superhero genre is that when when you've when you've kind of reached saturation point, um, then you can only go two ways. One is you know very dark and brooding, and yeah. one is humorous, and that's how the superhero genre went from, um, you know, the high point to Logan and Deadpool. You've got the yes, uh, you've yes. got either very yeah, very, it's very yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, a complete farce, and it's almost like you had Blazing Saddles and you have Josie Wales. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so the yeah, it it it, it diverts. So uh, you know, I think in the context of the our journey through the Western, yeah. the seventies 
yeah, I'm not saying any of the films that I've said are, uh, aren't very good films. I've not seen most of them, I should add, but you know they come highly regarded. A lot of them do, but they aren't. I don't think they're they're almost never really considered part of the canon. And perhaps the Outlaw Juice of Wales is kind of the only one of those yeah, that really yeah. is. Yeah, and Blazing Saddles is, but I think for a different reason. But you're oh, right, yeah, Blazing yeah. Saddles is in there. But you know, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is good. It's a, I've not seen it, but it's got it's got. It's very highly regarded. Yeah. Um, High Plains Drifter, less highly regarded, but, you know, it's it's still there. Uh, you've got a Sergio Leone film that isn't really particularly well regarded. Um, and then you've got more films that are based on, rather than it be about cowboys and Indians, much more about man's place in nature. You know, like Jeremiah Johnson or Kioma, um, Little Big Man, places, things like that, which are slightly different in tone. And much more about that introspection, because um, the outlaw Josie Wells is about introspection in many ways as well. It was in the sixties, it was bombastic, it was yeah. over the top, it was stylized, it was extreme violence. In the fifties, you've really got where the western, you know, put root in the Hollywood system, and in the forties, you've got the kind of the emergence of those big stars. And the seventies doesn't really do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> it ticks along almost and i think that is also something that i think the 70s and the 80s are effectively the the quiet period of, of the yeah. you, you know the outlaw josie wells and blazing cells are really the only two westerns in that period that i think people could name off yeah. the top of their head well, I was going to say again, you 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 did rattle off a number of films there, but I think yeah, but most get, of them aren't popular, yeah, though, are they? I know, but I'm just going to, when we get to the 80s, you'll have even slimmer picking. Yeah, so I think it, yeah, it, it's it, a downward yes, trajectory. Right. It's a downward trajectory because in the Until 80s, the I can I can think of Pale Rider, which is another uh, Eastwood film, Young Guns, Silverado, Silverado. I mean, oh, the, the Three Amigos. Would you count that? Yeah, <laughs> you count the Three Amigos. Yeah. yeah, but again, that's a slightly different thing. And then other than that, you. You might you might be getting in. There might be some films that are highly regarded, but they're not very well known. So the second feature three in the eighties. Uh, that was nineteen ninety. Yeah, so you just missed out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then in the nineties, starts coming back a little Ooh, bit again yes. with Unforgiven, Dances with Wolves, Tombstone, The Quick and the Dead, Legends Falls. We're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We are getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but, but you're, you're right. It's, it's it is a canon. What but happened you, yeah. between the sixties and the seventies? I think I think the Hollywood system and people perhaps had had their fill. With su- and also, how do you follow the good, the bad, and the ugly in the wild bunch? Well, you, again, you I, I'm, I'm going to throw something out here as well. Now, is who would you say is the again the most f- famous cowboy on the cinema in the 1970s? Is it Yul Brynner? No, you know, in you- Westworld. <laughs> Close. <laughs> I would say it's Han Solo. Oh yeah, you're probably right, aren't you? Because yeah, yeah. And if you're, right, you're wondering yeah. what happened to the cowboy movies, I think they just stopped yeah. being set in the West. And... Yeah, they were set in they were set in space. Yeah, yeah. You're you're right. That's it exactly, isn't it? And but that yeah. wasn't until the late seventies. No, late. No, no. So again, you you have the, you have the dip, didn't you? But you know, people like that Western character, and he, they did. They wasn't they didn't disappear. Um, they just but, you know, found itself a new way. But what what's in? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's right. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting point, but I think what the difference so i think something like star wars happening i don't think star wars happens because the western was in decline in the 70s don't get me wrong (laughs) but what star wars isn't star wars isn't a version of the western of the 70s is it no star wars is 
I mean, it's not a version of any Western, but it takes it takes Western tropes from the 50s and 60s. Absolutely. So in some respects, in, in the 70s, you aren't getting Westerns that look and feel like 50s and 60s Westerns, but you are getting other genre films that look like 50s yeah. and 60s Westerns. So like, the Western run out of ideas, so you need to transplant it to a different context. Yeah, I mean, actually, not, yeah, Star, Star Wars is so much more than yeah, like space western. But you know, you yeah, know who Luke Skywalker is because yeah. he's working on a homestead. You know what's yes. going to happen when his homestead is uh, burned out. And, you're right, and you know who Han Solo is because as soon he, as he is, he's a quintessential cowboy. He's your John Wayne, isn't he? Yeah, as soon as, as soon as he comes in with a, with a pistol on his side that he yeah. can outdraw people with, and he's you know he's <laughs> yeah. got that kind of la- that laconic yeah. attitude. Yeah. That's a cowboy. Who's, you know, you also know. Even in you know, even though he's not going to do all the cowboy things, but you know he's a character who's capable and is going to sort things out uh, because he's he's got because he's you know the cowboys joined the team that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, from the two thousands, you can extrapolate to superhero films, can't you? It's yeah. the same thing. You know, it's 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 um, duels, it's honor, it's all that kind of well, stuff. We said the same thing last yesterday, uh, last week, uh, yesterday about the. Uh, um, the similarity again, the cowboy and the samurai. It's a character it's, with yeah. a moral code and a command of violence. So yeah, that that transposes to a superhero. It's normally that you know, a single individual who is uniquely powerful to um, yeah. and has a moral code that they have to face down with. It's it is, but I mean, I, there's also a similarity I think in the westerns' heyday and the decline of the western in the 70s and 80s with the samurai's heyday which would have been in the 40s and 50s and 60s yeah. and the decline in the 70s and 80s okay. it's very interesting the way that they mirror each other now that isn't to say that really 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 good western and samurai films weren't made in the 70s and 80s yeah. but either the volume of them the exposure they had or the cultural significance of them certainly hasn't been anywhere near what it was in the 60s 50s and 40s and it's not because i think it's not because I think they've run out of ideas. I just think there's only so many ways you can tell that story. Yeah. Really, before you have to reinvent it. Yeah. And I think the 70s and 80s were a period of just trying to think about how you might reinvent the Western. And it's not until Unforgiven comes along that I think you probably do that. I suppose it's interesting that, again, um, it's in the 90s you get you get uh, Toy Story and the, the first character they think of to make is that yeah, is Woody. The character who show, is Woody, the, the character to show that his time has gone past. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. You knew it would be a cowboy. It's like, of course it's going to be a cowboy. Of course yeah. it is, yeah. It's, and the person of the future is a spaceman. Yeah, everyone everyone it, loves it, the cowboy. Everyone it, understands it, what the cowboy is, but everyone also knows that no one really wants the cowboy anymore, um, which yes. is exactly what happened to the genre. Completely, yeah, absolutely. Nevertheless... I don't know how we've drawn a line from uh, Josie Wales to Woody the Cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, I think if if anyone keeps the Western um, flame alight, it's probably Eastwood. (laughs) You know, Um, uh, yeah, he's very he's just synonymous, I guess, really. Um, Here's here's the thing. It's like, you know, we um. You have to say there are, there are really two giants of the cowboy genre that we've looked at. I mean, there were there were some fantastic you know, directors and actors, but it's you know John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. Which one is the more influential? Because almost like jo- John Wayne was the 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 best at the time when it was at its best. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Clint Eastwood was the best at the time when it was him carrying the whole lot. I yeah, you're right. Um, I'm I'm inclined actually, oddly, to say Eastwood because he also directed almost all the films that we're talking about that he's yeah. that he's in you know in that context yeah. so he directs the outlaw jc Wells. he directs high plains drifter he directs pale rider um whereas 
John Wayne doesn't. But in some respects, I mean, they're of different eras, aren't they? And they yeah. both have their roles. And they actually, interestingly, both have similar outlooks and politics as well in that context too, which is odd. Yeah. But um, I think, it, you know, you perhaps a, a, another analogy might be John Ford and Clint Eastwood, because yeah. they both have their visions about what the West was and what America became as a consequence of that. And in some respects, John Wayne was a side as an actor, he is representing the views of the scriptwriter and the director. Clint Eastwood is the director. So he's representing his views. Yeah. That's why I think he possibly has the edge on John Wayne. But you know, who knows? Yeah. It's a it's a moot point really, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna if 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 I don't know if a John Wayne apologist came to my house and said, right, you're going to take that back, aren't you? Or <laughs> I'm going to, you know, uh, I don't know, you're going to gun you down. Yes, I'll take it back. You know, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> I would say if there was a shooter there, my money's going to be on Eastwood. What, between Eastwood and me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd put my money on Eastwood too. <laughs> I would choose Gatling gun on a weapon of choice. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Would you, you if it was Josie Wales or the man with no name? Oh, tricky one because they're basically the same character up to a point, aren't they? Josie Wales, the man with no name, or William Money? Oh, William Money every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's, yeah, he's yeah, a exactly. monster. He is. That's the thing. I think in the end, the man with no name and Josie Wales have they have something in them which would stop them being a real bastard. Yeah, <laughs> I think William Money doesn't have anything in him. I mean, he does obviously. Well, he did. That was that was a great thing. But once in the it was end, unlocked, he once, yeah. once the yeah, demon exactly. comes out, yeah, yeah, it comes out. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, well, there we are. We That's the outlaw, Josie. Well, we've done the seventies. Yeah. I mean, unlike the sixties, where we could have chosen about thirty films, there wasn't many <laughs> to choose in the seventies, <laughs> was there? Really, we could have skipped the seventies and had the Wild Bunch. Uh, well, but, but for. Uh... For a, uh, a similar vein, we can leave some suspense as we take a short break mm. and our audience can guess which of the handful of cowboy films <laughs> we'll be covering in the 1980s. <laughs> Indeed. Welcome back, dear listener. It is the scores on the doors. Um, an interesting one, this, because... Well, I was going to go into why I was going to give it the score I'm going to give it, but that's not the point, is it? The point is that we're going to give the scores first. So over <laughs> to you, Hugh. <laughs> okay, this is a tough one because we it does have its flaws, mm. um, but I don't know. It's it's such a unique film in its sensibilities and its outlook and in the way it's done. And like I say, it, it's I think the fact I said it, it's ridiculous to think it's a gentle film, but it almost becomes that way. Oh. Do you know what? It's it's oh, it's hard. It's, it might miss off a five for me. I might give it a four, but oh. it's a high four. It's a very high. Ah, okay. High four. High four. Um, very good. So, I think I agree with most of what you're saying there. The challenge I have with the film is, whilst I really liked the characters, I felt a little bit, and I mentioned this in the kind of synopsis. Synopsis. I felt a little bit like this was this was the many adventures of. The outlaw Josie Well, in the sense yeah. that it was a story that was a bit um, disconnected in some ways. When you know it was going from one place to the next place, getting more characters, getting more 
um, ragtag bunch. You know, it could have been a children's film in, in many ways, but it was not sounding <laughs> like the film at all. Um, there's a lot in the film, and I think there's a there's a lot more in this film than there is in a lot of the other westerns we've watched in terms of its political message, its complexity, and it was a lot lighter than I thought it was going to be as well. I do think that it's too long. That's my challenge with the film. Uh, I think it's at least half an hour too long. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not as enamoured as it as as you are, but I do appreciate its uniqueness and its place within the genre. I'm going to give it three disembodied crombie heads. Okay. Three, so a four and a three. Well, it's not, we bad anyway, it's not bad for the 70s anyway. It's not bad for the 70s, yeah, it is. But here it is for the 80s. Which, for the 80s. Which, which film are we going to be watching in the 80s? Well, I can reveal it's Outlaw Alien. <laughs> not really. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> what is we it? Will be, we will be re- on for next month. We will be reviewing Young Guns. Young Guns. There young we go. Guns. There we are. Emilio I might even, even in the spirit of uh, the Dodge, I might even watch Young Guns 2 to give it some context <laughs> as well. That's a bit like watching City Slickers and City Slickers 2. You know, <laughs> God, why would you do that? <laughs> Just, it's a City Slickers we could have had. That's an 80s film. Is that there a Western? Is that a Western? Good question. Let's ponder that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> until then, until then, we leave you to spit one last stream of tobacco juice over what must be an incredibly soggy western frontier by now, (laughs) as we wish you a very healthy and a very happy weekend at Crumpies. Good evening all. Ah, yes. Welcome, dear listener. I'm not going to regale you with the title of this particular podcast again. Just refer to what we've just been talking about for the last five minutes. Um, But it is... Oh, no, I've got that wrong, haven't I? What yep. are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done anything yet. We just started yeah. Just started the podcast. <laughs> this is going very well. Oh, no. Um, 